0: As-salamu alaykum, you're listening to the HeartWork Community Quran Study of Surah Yusuf at Roots. All of our programming at Roots is live-streamed and published free of charge thanks to the goodwill of our monthly sustainers. Your donations allow us to continue our mission of being a community of welcoming, providing meaningful content, and nurturing our hearts, minds, and souls in coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You can help us reach our Ramadan campaign goal of 250 new sustainers by signing up today, or if you are already a sustainer, you can increase your amount and also encourage your family and friends to support the work we do by signing up at rootsdfw.org/sustain. As always, may Allah subhanahu wa taala bless you and reward you. Jazakumullah khairan wa alaykum wa rahmatullah. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa, wa salatu wa salam wa ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Welcome home, everybody. It's good to see alhamdulillah, one back here uh, as we continue our study uh, in Surah Yusuf, uh, inshallah. Um, first things first is uh, I wanted to I wanted to get everyone to to reflect a little bit about the themes of the surah that we're having or that we're we're going through. Um, what are the themes that you're going to see in this surah? And one of the themes that might be like frustrating as a uh, as a lived experience, is the theme of when you do something right, but it all goes wrong. Right? So you do something right, but nevertheless, it, meaning life, all goes wrong. So I wanted you, inshallah, in a, in a, in a moment of uh, openness for the next three minutes, I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to tell them about a moment where you did something right, but nevertheless, it still went wrong. Okay, don't be too open, right? You don't know them that well. But I want you to share a moment where you did the right thing, but it all went wrong. All right, three minutes, inshallah. You did the right thing, but you still had consequences. Like you were deciding between something, like to do the right thing, tell the truth. And you thought, okay, if I tell the truth, I won't get in trouble, I'm gonna be honest about it. But you still got in trouble. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's bring it back in. A moment where you did the right thing, but it still went all wrong. Who can share? Who can share? Yeah, my what, what was your, your moment? Try to get married in five months, do the right thing, it took three years, but it was worth it, right? I remember you first told me about that back at the old root space, you're like, I'm trying to get married, make dua for me, mashallah, and now here you are, married man, happily married, alhamdulillah. Yeah, sometimes, look, you're trying to do the right thing, you're like, oh Allah, I'm trying to get married, do the right thing, keep it halal, and you're like, would like this to happen, you know, two to four business days, you know, and then it takes forever. Right? Why, why does this happen sometimes? We'll talk about it. Anyone else? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Never mind. Okay. Oh. <laughs> He's like, I rethink everything now in this moment. That was probably the right decision. And now I'm going to make fun of you. No, I'm joking. Anyone else? Don't think too deep about it. It's not that deep. I'll share with you mine, okay? So on, on Saturday, I was traveling. I flew back from a conference in Michigan, and I was really tempted to order some takeout, um, you know, just get my, treat myself, as they say. And, uh, but my wife had already, you know, cooked some food and then also there were some leftovers. So I was like, all right, you know, I'm gonna be responsible, why spend more money? Let me go home and eat whatever's there. And I ate the food, alhamdulillah, and then I went ahead and ate some of the leftovers and I woke up yesterday with food poisoning. (laughs) So it wasn't my wife's food. It was the restaurant leftovers that we had. But again, you're like, I'm gonna save myself some money, I'm gonna be responsible. And yesterday I was like, I'm never eating leftovers again, right? I'm gonna go ahead and order myself takeout every time. No, you make the right decision, you still get punished, okay? Anyone else? Anyone? No one? Maybe it'll hit harder as we go through. We had someone who raised their hand. Yeah, you were you raising your hand? No? Yeah. Yes, yeah. You try to do something nice for somebody. And then they're like, oh, you could have done this better or differently, or I didn't need that, right? Or why'd you clean the car, it's going to rain tomorrow, why'd you get it washed? All right, There's all these all these moments, okay? So this is, again, an experience that Yusuf, alayhi salam, he himself experiences multiple times, over and over again. To the point where, in the story, what I, what I said earlier, and I want to reiterate, is that it becomes frustrating, because as the reader of the story, you're you're cheering for Yusuf you're rooting for him. And as a believer, as a Muslim, who's been given the, the, you know, the obligation of making the right choice in tough situations, right? There's a fork in the road, you always want to make the right decision. You always want to make the right decision, but sometimes we have less than sincere intentions in making the right decision. And I'll explain a little bit what that means. Our intention for making the right decision should always be because it is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordained as the right decision. The intention for the right decision should never be because it's expedient or easy, or that it somehow is going to make our life better, because that may not be the case, right? That may not be the case. Sometimes you might do something because it's the right thing to do, Islamically, ethically, spiritually. And in fact, had you not done that thing, you would have been, in a dunya sense, better off. Right, there are people who uh, 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 will lie on their resumes or they'll lie during their interviews or they'll you know, cheat during school or whatever and they might be getting better grades or they might be getting better positions but at the end of the day, that method to attain that goal was not something that they, that's going to put barakah into what they achieved. Okay, so if I lie on my resume to get a job, I'm not trying to make anyone feel uncomfortable here, If I lied on my resume to get a job, and I believe, as a Muslim, that my money needs to be pure in order for the food that I eat to be halal, in order for the home that I live in to be halal. There's a a really scary hadith, it's mentioned in Imam Nawi's Arbaeen, where there's a person that is disheveled and dusty and desolate, and he's praying to Allah, and the Prophet describes him as begging to Allah. And then the Prophet says, and how will Allah ever answer this person's du'a because his food is haram, his clothes is haram, his drink is haram. Meaning that what he earned to purchase those things was not pure. So if I lie in order to get my income, even though it, was, it, 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 it expedited my, my job search and process, in the reality, what did it do for me? It deflated me, right? So sometimes making the right decision in terms of your Islam is not always tied to the most beneficial outcome in terms of your dunya. And Allah will, Allah will allow that to exist in your life over and over again just to see if you're sincere. Right? Just to see if you're sincere. I was talking about this the other day with uh, Ustad al and some other people. We were hanging out and having the random conversation. And we were talking about like If a person wasn't, if I wasn't a Muslim that had like this ethical code of Islam upon me, there are so many things in life that people would do, right? One of the things that I find really interesting is if you guys ever traveled and arrived at the airport and gone to get your luggage and realized, there's no system for like whose luggage is who. And you could, like I've been there and seen like brand new items in the oversized luggage area and I'm like man, subhanAllah, we're really going by the honor system here. You know, like anyone can pick up anyone's bag and walk away. I'm not giving you ideas, hopefully. But anyone can pick up anyone's bag, right? And there are some things that Islam would impose upon us as God-conscious people, that you know what, you don't do this even if it seems expedient, right? You don't cheat the system even if it seems expedient. Um, And so Yusuf, alayhi salam, his story is one where he shows us time and time again that the reward for being ethical is that you gain closeness to Allah, even if, even if your ethical decisions are things that will put you in difficulty time and time again. Okay? So where were we last time? We finished off at this point where Yusuf Alayhi salam, was being uh, uh, basically, yes, assaulted by the, 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 the wife of the minister, the Aziz. And the story is that she basically tried to seduce him. That seduction failed. Yusuf Alayhi Saddam was very clear in his disinterest, in participating in whatever she had in mind. And instead of just kind of like letting it go, she doubled down and she actually advanced towards him. And he sprinted towards the door to escape, and she sprinted after him to try to capture him. And as a, as a means of capturing him, she grabbed his shirt, perhaps out of trying to get him, perhaps out of embarrassment, who knows, desperately grabbed his shirt and tore it from the back. Only in that moment, as the Qur'an says, to find her husband at the door and there is when she created this lie, this, this, this fabrication about Yusuf salam, that what should the penalty be for somebody that tries to assault and violate your wife except that we imprison them and we give them a painful punishment, okay? So here the wife of Yusuf or the wife of the Aziz has this moment in where she's embarrassed, she's you know, flustered. She's probably overcome with grief and, 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 and guilt and now anxiety and, and confusion how to handle the situation that she's had. And Yusuf, alayhis Salam in this moment, is put in a really difficult situation. Now, there are some moments in life where your response to an accusation is not necessary. If somebody accuses you of something and it's like not really important, it's not really critical, then you don't have to respond to every single accusation. But there are some moments in life where in fact your response to an accusation is in fact critical And one of the lessons we learned from this story and this ayah in particular where Yusuf responds And he says no, it was her that tried to seduce me. I was not trying to do anything She was the one that was trying to seduce me The lesson that the Mufassidim, they say is that when it comes to the dignity of your faith or your honor You should always be very upfront and forthcoming about protecting your dignity a person should never ever allow their dignity, or their, their honor, their faith to be sacrificed for the sake of nothing. The Prophet ﷺ one time was speaking to his wife outside of the masjid, it was dark outside, and no one could tell who he was talking to. A couple of companions walked by him and he called them back and he clarified, said, I want you to know that this is my wife. I'm not talking to some random lady in the middle of the night. And they said, no Ya Rasulullah, of course we, we, we would never think twice about who you were talking to. And he said, "I know, but I want you to. I want to clarify because Shaitan he runs through us like human beings, just like our blood does. Shaitan's whispering is very strong. So there is this sometimes uh, uh, um, there is this sometimes inherent, intrinsic sort of like I don't need to defend myself. Let people believe what they want to believe, right? And it's almost sometimes like a foolish pride. I don't have to. I don't have to defend myself. Well, sometimes, and the Prophet Wasallam taught us this." when it comes to your reputation, when it comes to the integrity of your, your morality and your faith, there is actually some value to you putting out a statement or setting things straight and at least letting somebody know. Now, do you have to continue to repeat it day in and day out? Maybe not, but you at least have to make it clear that if somebody makes an allegation or an indictment about you that maligns your character and maligns your reputation, then there is value to you defending that. But if somebody says something about you or with regards to you that is very petty, that has nothing to do with anything, then it's your choice at that point. And in fact, it may be wiser for you to step off of it and not really entertain it. So Yusuf Alayhi am here, he in fact responds. And he says, it was her. It was in fact her that was trying to seduce me. Okay? Um, and then we, we introduce now the witness, who was her family member, maybe her cousin or someone in her, in her household, who presented this, uh, uh, this solution to the problem. He was like a legal mind. He said, well, if the shirt is ripped from the front, then who's guilty? If the shirt was ripped from the front, then who's guilty? Yusuf. Why? Because that would show that he was the one aggressing her. If the shirt was ripped from the back, then who's guilty? She is because that would show that she was, in fact, chasing him. Okay, so he he makes that legal argument. Then the husband looks and he saw that, in fact, the shirt of Yusuf was torn from the back. And then he makes this proclamation and he says that this is the example of your cunning, of your planning, like your scheming. And this is also, by the way, subhanAllah, like a very, very real and sad example. Is that when someone has a desire, when someone has like a temptation like this, and they want to accomplish it or achieve it, they will go to, like, shocking means to justify their desires. We will go to shocking means to justify the desires that we have. And that's why Islam, the Sharia, has to exist. Because if you and I were left up to decide about what was okay and what wasn't okay, then we would actually always find loopholes, right? You guys understand? We would always find the way to get what we wanted because desires don't stop. Desires don't rationally stop at any point. They want to get fulfilled, right? If a person's hungry and they want to eat, they will eat whatever they can find, even if it's Taco Bell. No offense, right? They'll eat whatever they can, even if it's butter chicken that's left over that's going to wreck them the next day, right? Like me. That love affair with butter chicken is hard, right? It's difficult because desires are impossible to stop. Okay, so that's why the Prophet ﷺ, Allah and his messenger come in and tell us that, you know what, you shouldn't be alone. A man and a woman should not be alone together. And you could say, well, you know what, I know myself, I know myself. You know who else knows you? Shaitan knows you pretty well. And so if a person thinks, you know what, I can defend myself, I can, you know, there's a reason why Islam has these checks and balances. There's a reason why. And sometimes we might think to ourselves, man, these are so old school, these are very traditional, these are this and that. But you know what's crazy? The same sins have been being committed from day one. The sins don't change. So we might say that, you know what, this is old school, why is Islam being so like traditional about this? Well maybe because the sins themselves, there's, you know, old is gold. The only way to stop these sins is by going through the traditional means of prevention. So when the Prophet of Allah says, you know what, you should lower your gaze. When Allah Ta'ala says, lower your gaze, and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, don't be alone in a space with the opposite gender by yourself, right, in 99.9% of circumstances, of course, there's always going to be exceptions here and there, but 99.9% of circumstances, don't do that to yourself. You might say, well, you know what, I'm a mature adult, I can do this and that, subhanAllah, man. You don't think that Yusuf was a mature adult. You don't think that he knew, you know, how to control, of course. But everyone's temptations find... Almost no reason to stop. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to protect us. So, here in this moment, he sees this and he says, this is an example of your cunning, of your scheming. Your desires allowed you to do this, and then even in your protection of yourself, you tried to throw this man under the bus, who has been nothing but good to us, right? He's been nothing but a a, a blessing for us. You tried to throw him under the bus and get rid of him, okay? And then he turns to Yusuf, and this is where we finished last week. He turned to Yusuf and he said to Yusuf that... Uh, You know, please just forget about this Because protecting his own honor his own legacy, right the honor of his home Which includes his wife and his position politically was more important to him than doing the right thing And this shows by the way that a person can can enable someone else's behavior subhanallah And we'll see that in a second. It's very very important that when it comes to certain sins That we don't let them have any breathing room some sins They have to be stamped out, like with no room for escape whatsoever. Because if we let ourselves, if we give ourselves the breathing room for the sin to kind of be, you know, stay alive and keep growing, it will grow back. It will grow back like an infection of the heart. And we see what happens as a result of that. What happens? Ayah number 30. Some women of the city, Allah Ta'ala says, وَقَالَ niswatun فِي الْمَدِينَةِ Some women of the city gossiped. So they found out. Now here's what's interesting. They found out, right, but the only four people there, we talked about this, were what? Yusuf, the Aziz himself, the wife of the Aziz, and the witness. None of these four people want this news to get out. All these people want this to stay lock and key, right? They don't want this to get out. So how did these women of the city find out, y'all? We mentioned it briefly at the end last time. Some women of the city gossip that the chief minister's wife is trying to seduce her slave boy. Love for him has plagued her heart. Indeed, we see that she is clearly mistaken. What did we say last time at the end? Yusuf's not going to tell anybody. The wife, for sure, is not going to tell anybody. The Aziz is not, of course. He's the one who's trying to tell Yusuf, so forget about this. And the witness himself was not going to tell anybody. So what, how, how, how is this possible that people could find out? We, we mentioned at the very end, I want to see Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, sin becomes apparent. Good deeds become apparent too. You, who you are, will become apparent. You know, Ibn Qudamah al-Maqtasi, he said that your heart is like the roots of a tree and your actions are like the fruits or the limbs of that tree. You can only go so long until, you know, like these leaves, for example, right? Have you guys, anyone here try to become like a, a, a green thumb? Anyone here try to buy a plant before you killed it in COVID? Okay. So, these leaves are indicative of the health of the plant. They have these apps now where you take a picture of the leaf, it'll tell you, oh, this plant is, or this tree is healthy, or it's sick. But the sickness is actually occurring in the roots of the tree, not up here. These are just the symptoms. So, Ibn Khudama he said, that your actions, which are your leaves or your fruit, are indicative of the actual health of your roots. No pun intended. If a person's roots are sick, it will show on their exterior. That's why in Islam we, we, we struggle to defend the difference between heart and action. We struggle, right? We, we know that when a person's language is a certain way, if I use certain language, I can't make excuses for that and say, well, you know, it's not really who I am. No, maybe it is really who you are, right? Maybe it is really who you are. If a person is mean to people or is rude to people, you can't say, I promise you I'm really nice at heart. No, you're not. If you're really mean to people all the time and everyone complains about it and no one likes it and you treat people poorly, you can't walk away from that saying, I'm really a softie. No, you're not, Habibi. You're a softie with Shaytan and that's it, right? You can't. No, no, seriously, we have to be honest with ourselves. We can no longer try to mask our behavior with this, like, oh, I mean well, okay? The reality is who we are inside eventually becomes that's why Islam is so focused on what? In fil Jasadi In your body is a piece of flesh. Idha salahat, jasadu kullu. Wa idha fasadat, al kullu. Ala al The Prophet said this. Your heart will dictate how everything else is. Everything else. If the heart is good, everything else will be good. You know what's amazing about that? The hadith commentary even says, the heart can be so good that even when a person tries to sin, they won't be able to. They won't be able to sin. And the heart can be so corrupt that even when a person is put in a situation where they are given all the tools of success, they won't be able to do it. Because the heart is eventually going to be clear, manifest. Okay, so the people in the city, the women of the city, why did they become a- aware of this, this seduction plan that she had was because, man, she couldn't hide her flirting with Yusuf. It was apparent to everybody. The way she spoke about him, the way she looked at him, the way she this and this, over the course of the time that he had spent with their family, it became apparent. Don't think that you can hide it. I, you know, I taught high school English for two years because I'm, originally I got my degree in, in English education. And I remember, man, subhanAllah, being a teacher, how slick students think they are, man. You know, they got their phone under the desk and they're like, right? And I'm like, no one stares at their, at their thighs all day, man. Like, what are you doing? You know, your desk is up here and they're like this. People think that they're so good at hiding. I can tell you so many stories about people that are like, I have big news. I'm like, you're engaged? They're like, how'd you know? I'm like, I've only seen you with this guy for six months. I think I'm, what do you think, like, you know? No, of course man, subhanAllah And not not in a bad way, may Allah Ta'ala bless everyone with happy, healthy, righteous marriages, Inshallah, Ameen, say Ameen Don't be a hater, say Ameen, okay? (laughs) But it is what it is, right? It is what it is, okay? So the reality is that our actions, they accumulate and they eventually become our portfolio spiritually, who we are And so her actions were very clear, now This is the point that we take away from that. If you want people to think a certain way about you, don't worry about trying to convince them with your words. Show them who you are. Show them who you are. If you want people to think that you're patient and loving and compassionate, be that person. You don't have to tell people that. If you want people to think that you're generous, don't tell them you're generous, show them your generosity. And the other way, if you want people, if you don't want people, if you want to change your perception, you don't want people to think that you're self-centered, this, and this, and this. Then change those things about you, right? I was having a conversation with somebody once, and he, he was telling me that people think that I'm really, like, narcissistic. I'm really selfish. And I said, well, what, what, what do you mean? He goes, well, one thing is, like, I always interrupt people. And I said, why do you think? And he goes, I don't. <laughs> and I was like, you realize you just interrupted me as I was trying to, like, dig deeper, right? And then he was like, you know, well, I always have something to say. And I, always, I was said, like, okay, Habibi, but if you want people to think that you care about what they're saying, you can't cut them off mid-sentence. Right? Actions speak louder than words. One of, one of my teacher's teachers said that when it, with regards to raising children, and this is very important, he said with regards to raising children, your children's eyes will teach them much more than your words ever will. What your children see... Will teach them much more than your words ever will. Meaning, as a parent, and I know for a lot of you guys are like, oh, I'm not a parent yet, this not no. Your success in parenting begins far before you have kids, far before you get married. A guy went to Imam Shafi one time and was like, hey, Imam, I had my son yesterday. Give me advice on how to be a good father. He goes, you're too late. You're too late. He goes, how are you going to change? How are you going to change now? You can't change, right? So if you want to be a good parent, it starts by being a good person. If you want to be a good husband, a good wife, start by being a good person. Don't think that you're magically going to get married and all of a sudden now you're going to become this perfect spouse, perfect parent. That's not how it works, right? So part of this is understanding, okay, I have to live the values that I, that I say that I want to have, right? And this is the example that Allah Ta'ala is giving us in this story that people will know. People can smell it a mile away, right? They can see it a mile away, okay? So what did they see? that she was trying to seduce her slave boy, love for him has plagued her heart, that she was overwhelmed. And this is also something subhanAllah that is a, a, sort of a beautiful lesson in the Qur'an is that love is something that it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things that cannot be necessarily solved for all the time. There's a, a story of Mughith and Barira, these two companions of the Prophet So basically the, the, the short story is that Mughith and Barira were married, Barira did not want to be married to Mughith anymore, so she uh, she was able to dissolve the marriage and she did, right, she ended the marriage. Mughith was still in love with her, okay, so Barira did not want to be married to Mughith anymore. Mughith went to the Prophet and he said, Ya Rasulullah, can you please like, can you hook it up? Can you help a brother out, please? And the Prophet he went and he said, okay, I'll, I'll talk to her, you know, he's like, I, I'm not gonna, I, I can't force her to marry you, right, but I'll, I'll, I'll speak to her. So he went to Barira and he spoke to her and he tried to, you know, Mughith really loves you and, you know, would you ever consider thinking about him? And she said, Ya Rasulullah, is this a command from you or is this just advice or, like, conversation? You see how much respect they had for the Prophet Like, if you're commanding me, I'll do it. But is this just, like, casual convo? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is not revelation. This is just casual conversation, you know? <laughs> no, but, th- I mean, think about it. You had to ask. At the time where Wahi's being sent, you had to be like, is this this from Allah? Like am I going to see an ayah about this? Or do I, is this just from you? And he goes, no, it's just from you to me. Right, it's just from you to me. And she said, Ya Rasulullah, I have to be honest with you, I I don't want to be married to him. And he said, khalas, okay. So he went back and he told Mughith that, you know, I'm sorry man, it's not going to work out. She's not interested. And Mughith at this point is like heartbroken. And it's very interesting actually, at this point he runs and he like dives at her feet and like grabs her ankles out of like heartbrokenness And she's trying to like walk away and he's like, please, please And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi wa He was sitting next to Abdullah ibn Abbas Abdullah bin Abbas and he says to him, isn't it so interesting How much Mughith loves Barira is not as much as, as Barira hates Mughith Like love cannot necessarily always be it's, he, uh, The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi wa was just saying it's so strange Love is such a strange thing, right? i um, not trying to get you in your feels right now, but it is a strange thing. So she's being, she, you know, it, it's something that, and when the Prophet was describing Khadija anha, our mother, he said what? حُبُّهَا <laughs> Allah gave me love of her. Like it's almost like you don't always control it, right? And so, but you control what you do with it. And you control how you handle it. So being in love is not enough of a justification to do wrong things. And in fact, if you really, really love somebody, and you really, really want to see that love through in the form of a, a, a beautiful halal relationship, then you're actually doing yourself a disservice by trying to take detours and, and shortcuts. The best thing you can do to preserve that love is by trying to do it in a way that Allah is going to support it with his barakah, with his blessing. And we see here that she had love for this you know, boy, Yusuf, of course, there's a lot of complications. She's already married, all that. But she went about it the worst kind of way. And now look at the legacy, subhanAllah, of the stories that it's preserved for us to see what not to do in a moment of love. Love for him has plagued her heart. Indeed, we see that she is clearly mistaken. You know, they see people can be blinded by their love. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam actually said that. He said, He said, Your love for something can blind you and deafen you. It can make you somebody that doesn't see straight. And look at what she was afflicted by. When she heard about their gossip, it continues, she invited them to a banquet and she gave each one of them a knife. Not a knife to like defend themselves. This wasn't like a, a cage fight. She gave them a knife to cut up some fruit. It was like a nice, it was like a, a, a um, you know, it was like a, a brunch. She gave them like a nice like plate of fruit and a knife and it was meant to be, okay, you cut yourself some fruit. Then she said to Yusuf alayhi salam, come in front of everybody, show us. You know, come out before everybody. When they saw him, when these women saw him, they were so stunned by his beauty that they started to cut their hands on accident instead of cutting the fruit. That they were just like, and they slipped away from the fruit and they cut their finger, right? They sliced their finger, or they cut their finger briefly. And they exclaimed, good God, right? Wow, this cannot be a human. He must be an angel. They were absolutely floored by the beauty and the handsomeness of Yusuf Now one of the hadith of the Prophet is that he said that Allah Ta'ala gave a, a, a half, he gave the world and the creation and everything in it half of beauty and he gave the other half to Yusuf So Yusuf was incredibly good looking. Now Aisha radiallahu anha, she was a very loving wife to the Prophet Some might say very protective and jealous. So when they talked about this moment of the women cutting their hands when they saw Yusuf, she said, man, if they saw my husband, they would have cut their hearts out. <laughs> so she was like, you know what I mean? And she always had that, radiAllahu anha, she always had that ghira that for her husband, like she was so defensive and, and loving of her husband that she was like, man, yeah, Yusuf was, of course, good looking, but not like my husband, right? Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi So, I mean, again, this is probably something that's not really important for us to discuss. But the point being is that, You know, this is how they were subhanAllah, they were human, they were amazing. So, this moment is happening. Now, here's the interesting thing, okay? The interesting thing is, number one, the wife of the Aziz doesn't learn her lesson, right? She doesn't learn her lesson. Why do you think she didn't learn her lesson? What could have happened that would have in fact stopped this event from occurring? Hmm? Huh? Yeah, the Aziz could have like done something, right? Instead of the Aziz trying to cover it up, and this is the problem. Instead of the Aziz trying to be like, okay, okay, relax. Hey, you go and repent. You just ignore this ever happened. And let's just move on. Well, you know what happens when things aren't handled properly? They come back. When things aren't handled properly, they come back. And this is from childhood to adolescence, Teen years, young adulthood, even to... Sins don't stop themselves man, I'm telling you. If somebody lies when they're younger, and is not taught the value of truthfulness, they will lie when they're older, and they will lie in any way they can get away with anything. There are people that are in their 50s and 60s. They come to me, or they come to Mufti Kamani, or Sheikh Abdel Nasser, or Sheikh Mikhail, and they sit at our desks, and they say, I was in business with my brother, my cousin, my best friend, you name it and this person lied to me for 20 years about the finances and I just now found out. The person didn't start lying in their 40s, man. A person starts lying when they're younger. It starts lying with, Iman, did you brush your teeth? Yes, Baba. (laughs) Right? That's where it starts. Really? My daughter's four. Did you brush your teeth, Mama? Yes. Really? Let's go check your toothbrush. No, 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 hold on, give me five, I'll be right back, right? You have to teach them the value of honesty from a young age. And you know what? If lying, it's just one example, if lying is something that is let to fester from a young age, and the person is, get, they get away with it, and there's no consequences, then as they get older, it's the same thing for other things, for other desires, right? If, if, if boys and girls are not taught how to be good children, with good values from a young age, respectful to each other, to adults, to society, all of these different values and virtues we talk about, you know, this is why, subhanAllah, the older you get, the more you look at other generations, you're like, what is going on with this generation, man? No cap, man, (laughs) you know? Everyone is is out of control, subhanAllah, because why, I think it's because, you know, the the younger parents, we become softer with our kids, and we want to see that softness, because we were raised with harshness, subhanAllah, and we start to see now the manifestation of some of that behavior. We start to see that right and it's important because we have to realize that we're not just we're not just raising children we 're raising adults you're not raising kids you're raising adults you're raising human this is why when all of you are probably in the age where like marriage is a possibility, yes or no, I'm not trying to make people upset, but like probability hopefully that's not why you're here, right but you know. <laughs> You're in the area of your life where marriage is a thing that you might think about. I'm telling you, man, when you marry someone, you need to make sure that you and that person have the same understanding of what it means to not just raise children, but raise adults. What do you want? What do I want Musa to look like? Not when he's six, but when he's 26. How do I want him to speak to people? How do I want him to think of women? Do I want him to think of women in a certain way? You know, a lot of us are seeing problematic things being said about men and women both. Do we want our kids to be raised to think that that's normal, that that's okay? Well, it starts with people like us, how we act right now, okay? Because sins don't stop. Vice doesn't stop itself. It has to be stopped by virtue. So this is uh, uh, the moment where her now, she's getting her, uh, 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 all of her sins and her desires are being validated. This is exactly what she wanted, right? Instead of changing her ways, now it's the shaitanic route. Why didn't you bow? And a min. Instead of him understanding the question, shaitan, why didn't you bow? You made a mistake. I commanded you to bow. You didn't bow. Instead, shaitan's like, let me defend myself. So now, instead of her being like, hey, you tried to assault this innocent young man in our home. Are you serious? Now she's like, well, how can I defend myself? Let me show everyone how attractive he is. Maybe then they'll understand. So when she heard their gossip, she invited them. They did all this. She called him out and they're like, he is beautiful. He is gorgeous. So what does she say? She said, yup. <laughs> this is the exact same one who you criticized me for. Now you see why? Now you see why? And this is one of Shaytan's greatest tactics is winning the popular vote. You see, sin will also sometimes, most times, be very popular. And one of the things that shaitan will do to make the person less interested in doing the right thing is he'll make them feel alone. He'll make them feel isolated. You're the only person who's gonna pray. You're the only one who doesn't talk like that. You're the only one who doesn't use bad language. You're the only one who doesn't date. You're the only one who's not going there. You're the only one who's not doing this. Shaitan will use that to whisper, to make you feel alone. SubhanAllah. And this is why community is so important. So important because you surround yourself with people and slowly but surely you start to make bonds and connections with people that are all trying, failing, right? We stumble, but we're trying to do things right and we all look at each other and we say, you've been through that too? That's why one of the narrations of Hanadallah is so beautiful to me. Hanadallah, one of the companions of the Prophet he declared himself a hypocrite. He said, Hanadallah is a hypocrite. And hypocrite means what? I'm not really a true Muslim, I'm a fake Muslim. It's a big, it's a serious accusation. And he sees Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and Abu Bakr says, what's going on, what's wrong? You look upset. And he goes, I'm a hypocrite. Abu Bakr says, what do you mean? He goes, when I'm with the Prophet my Iman is sky high. And when I leave his gatherings, I start to think about business and money and my family. I lose my, 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 my all of my thoughts go away from Islam, and they go towards dunya again. And he goes, this is, I'm a hypocrite. You know what Abu Bakr says? Abu Bakr says to him, this happens to you too? I thought I was alone. I thought it was just me. Right? Now Abu Bakr is, of course, he's not thinking about dunya the same way we are. Abu Bakr is trying to figure out like how much sadaqa he can give. You know, he's like, how much money can I pull out to donate to this person? But the point being is that in that moment of weakness, what did Abu Bakr say to Hanbala? He said, you too. This is why it's so important for believers to be together and to spend time with each other. And not to justify the sin but to know and to let the person know that I'm struggling, I have struggled or I am struggling with this as well. We all struggle with these moments. How many of us struggle to wake up for Fedra? Raise your hand. Thank you, look around the room, right? You have that one friend that's on his like entrepreneurship grind starting LLCs every morning. <laughs> and he's praying Fedra every morning, right? It hasn't even come in yet he's praying FEDR. And some people try to make you feel like, oh, it's the easiest thing. No, it's not. You know, there's no one that misses more Fedger in their life. There's two categories. 1A is a teenager because teenagers don't pray yet. 1B is a person that just had a child. Whenever I meet new parents, they always come and they say, man, I haven't prayed Fedr on time in like two weeks, six weeks, three months because I'm up all night and I try and then I just fall asleep as soon as the baby falls. Like, I can't. And they feel just, like, guilt just falls upon them. As parla, we have these gatherings here at Roots where we try to bring new parents in together, and we'll ask this question, like, how many of you guys are struggling with Fajr? And everyone raises two hands. And everyone looks around, and you see the relief falling on people's faces. So there's a fine line. We don't justify the sin. We don't say, yeah, yeah, it's good to sleep through Fajr, isn't it, right? There's nothing like sleep at sunrise. Like they, <laughs> we don't say that, but we say, yeah, you know what? I'm also struggling with this. In counseling, there's a term for this called universality. That to know that you're not alone. It's very important, man. It's very, very important. But she's using it the wrong way. She's using it the wrong way. Okay? Because misery loves company. But in Islam, we spend time around people that don't want to be miserable anymore. Right? We love company, but we don't want to be miserable anymore. So she says, this is it. I tried to seduce him. But he refused. Right? Can you blame me? That's basically what she's trying to say. And if he does not do what I order him to do, then he's gonna get prison. He's gonna be imprisoned. This is like the ultimate threat. Now, I don't I think in order for us to appreciate what this means, we have to understand what prison is. Prison is not prison at at all is is horrible. But prison in the time of, of pre modern ancient Egypt is like essentially a death sentence. You're going to be locked up and you're going to rot until you're dead. Have you guys ever seen like movies and like video games? They got prison, the person's shackled, it's just like a skeleton with a chain around its wrist. Like that was prison. There was no like, oh, you'd be in prison for a few years or a few, whatever. No, no. It was like, she's basically saying like, he's going to die alone, miserable, you know, screaming for help in the dungeons of Egypt, okay? So this is the threat. And this is what she's threatening him with. Now, many of us in life maybe have not been given the test of seduction or prison, but we've been given the test of, like, lie or no job. Take off the hijab or no marriage. Right? Which is, by the way, one of the most, like, can I just, can I be real for a second? Brothers, if anyone in this room says, I would marry you if you took off your hijab. Please leave right now. That statement, that statement, that statement is so poisonous. And I'm not, if you don't wear hijab yet, then I'm not, this isn't a shot at anybody. But for sisters that are trying to wear the hijab and cover, to be told in a vulnerable moment of a proposal for marriage that if you take it off, I'll marry you, or I would only marry you if you didn't wear it, that is, that is shayfanic. That is satanic. You should not say it. If you have a friend that feels that way, tell them just to keep their mouth shut and not to make sisters rethink their commitment to Allah by wearing the headscarf. I, I, I've heard it so often. I'm sorry. I love you guys. You know that, right? I love everybody. But, but this statement I've heard, it makes my blood boil because how? How could you tell someone that, yeah, everything else checks out, I would love to marry you, but just take that off. Bro, she will at home. <laughs> like, she doesn't have to wear it at home, I don't know if you know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let, let's get it together, man. Could you meet the Prophet sell someone on the Day of Judgment and say, I wanted to marry her, but I just want, how would you meet Allah? How can you meet Allah? If you feel that in your heart, just like stifle it, man, put it out. That's not a, a statement or a thought that we should have, right? That's not a statement or a thought that we should have. And also, enough with the half a million matter thing, okay? Let's really chill on that for a second, all right? Let's chill on that. We'll have a merry session soon, inshallah. Okay, so, so, but seriously, we need to relax on that. Why? Let me tell you why. Because this is the kind of ultimatum that shaitan wants, okay? Shaitan will make people go through these ultimatums, and it will break their faith. It will break their faith. What does Yusuf say here? He says, Allah says, Oh Allah, I would rather be in jail. It is more beloved to me to be in prison, Oh Allah, than to do anything else that they are calling me to. Now the prison, if I were to ask you, what is more beloved to a human being? Being imprisoned? or being intimate with somebody. Of course, physically you're thinking prisons, what, that's not even a question. But when you inject faith into the question, it's the same thing as fasting. What's more beloved to a person during Ramadan, eating or fasting? Fasting. If I came up to you in the middle of the day in Ramadan and said, do you want to eat? You'd be like, my body wants to eat but my heart does not want to eat. Right now, my heart is more in love with fasting than it is eating, right? If you were sitting in front of a person that was needy, homeless, perhaps needing food and shelter and you had money and there was a store there for you to buy something for yourself. And I said, what's more beloved to you right now, charity or getting another shirt that you don't need? The heart of a Muslim would say what? Charity. This is what Yusuf is teaching us. You can get to a point in your life where your love of Allah is so powerful that Metaphysically, you actually start to find more comfort in things that are naturally very uncomfortable. Because why? Because those uncomfortable things are actually representations of your relationship with Allah. He's saying essentially here, Oh Allah, as long as I have you, put me in a prison. Because if I'm without you, it doesn't matter how much pleasure I have in this life, there's nothing that can fill the void of Allah in the heart of a person. Nothing. SubhanAllah. There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he says, He says, This dunya is a prison for the believer and a jannah, a garden for the disbeliever. Okay, now I know some of y'all are like, I know. You're like, there's so many non zabiha options out there that I want to eat at. I feel like prison sometimes, you know? You drive by Chick fil A and you're like, La ilaha illallah. Right? Those of you holding it down for Allah, may Allah bless you, okay? Those of you trying to find Ahl al-Kitab loopholes, Allah bless you too, I guess, right? <laughs> no, sometimes it feels, look, you get, I, I had friends who were getting perfect, amazing job offers. Where? Anheuser-Busch. Right? They're like, what do they make? I'm like, <laughs> pretty much only one thing, right? Bud Light. Budweiser. Like, you think I can work in their marketing department? I'm like, no. Right? Like where do you want to work? They go, like they have all these other, uh, uh, you know, gambling and betting, right? The, the sports betting companies, all that. SubhanAllah, Allah tests us. Allah tests us a lot. And, and people who make the right choice in a moment of that test, man, there is nothing more powerful than witnessing that choice. There is nothing more powerful than witnessing that choice. Yusuf alayhi salam is showing us how hard it can be, but what it looks like. And he's saying, oh Allah, doesn't matter where you put me. As long as I have you, I'm comfortable and I'm fine. Right? So This is very, very important. So the Prophet ﷺ said that. You know, one time, and I'll give you a little bit, because sometimes you see like some of these people who have a lot of money, and you're like, man, this is this is definitely Jannah for them for sure, right? Uh, Ibn Hajar, who was a famous muhadith, he said that he was one time approached by this, this non-Muslim guy who was very, who was struggling financially and Ibn Hajar was wealthy, he was riding a horse in Egypt and the, 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 the non-Muslim guy said to him like, what do you mean your Prophet said this hadith about you know, this life is a prison for you and a Jannah for me He's like, look at us, are you serious? You're riding a horse, you're wearing like this amazing new clothing and look at me, I'm begging in the streets of, of, of Cairo, like what do you, how, how can this be a prison for you and a Jannah for me? And Ibn the Hajar said, you're misunderstanding the hadith. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, no matter how good a believer has it in this life compared to what they get in the next life, it's going to feel like prison here. And no matter how bad a person has in this life, if they don't believe in Allah, it's going to be amazing for them here compared to what's waiting for them on the next side. So a believer, part of this power, this ability to say that statement, because I know many of us read this and we're inspired, but we're like, no, that's not me. Part of that is you have to think, how much do I really believe in the akhirah? How much do I really believe in this, this afterlife? Because there are some moments in life, some decisions in life, I'm telling you guys, the only reason you make the right choice is because of the akhirah. There's no dunya in that decision at all. In fact, you'll be walking away from dunya in that decision. You'll be walking away from it. The only reason why you're going to make the right call there is because Allah has promised you. tajri al anhar, khalidina fiha abada. Gardens under which rivers flow. You're going to live there forever. Allah says that. And with me is more than whatever you could imagine. And there will become a time where you're looking at an offer sheet. I remember, man, subhanAllah, I remember growing up thinking it was so easy to make decisions for the sake of Allah before you actually had to. I remember being a teenager, be like, how dare could people do that? How could they accept jobs here? How could they accept jobs there? And then you get older and you start to realize, man subhanAllah, people are really tested by this desire. Really tested. You know, because of my Instagram thing, I have this blue check next to my name, which is like big fitna. I get these messages from companies for endorsements. Some of them are pretty funny. Like, I got Twinkies. I don't know what they're trying to say. I got Twinkies. I got some other ones. But I got some from companies that were, like, really problematic. And they're offering, like, a good amount of money. And I remember being like, SubhanAllah, man. Like, of course I'm not going to do it. But I was thinking to myself, like, how Shaytan uses every which way to tempt you to go away from Allah. And if I weren't, someone who believed that Jannah exists and Hellfire exists, how tempted I would be just to jump right in headfirst to those offers. right? Don't be shy to know that there are some decisions in your life that are the I want to go to heaven and I don't want to go to hell decisions. There's no shame in that game. You're not a weak person for thinking that. That's one of the strongest moments that a person can have. And that's what made Yusuf able to say that incredible statement. Okay. Now when you make that statement... It's not easy at the point of, but as soon as you finish uttering those words from your lips and your heart, ربه, Allah Ta'ala accepted his prayer. You see, it's like climbing the mountain. Like, you're not going to be able to witness the view from the top until you're done climbing. Making dua sometimes is like climbing a mountain. You've got to gather up the courage and the energy and the humility, and you just have to do it. You want the reward of certainty and protection and barakah and all of that, but you have to do the work. You have to do it. So Yusuf alayhi salam, Allah did not give him the reward of his dua until he uttered it. And he had to utter it in a way that was so... It was such a test. How are you going to want prison over this? Imagine the person was being offered a job and they say, Oh Allah, I would rather have unemployment than do something that puts... Haram money in my pocket. Oh Allah, I would rather be single than marry this person who's telling me to stop praying Or to stop wearing hijab or to stop doing this or that. Ya Allah would rather Live a life of loneliness and confusion than to ever sacrifice my relationship with you You say that statement and you're almost biting your tongue with your molars as you're saying it because you're so scared of it coming true You're like, I don't know if I mean it But it sounds good Sounds heroic, right? But Subhanallah, Allah, Ta'ala is not stingy, he's not cheap. If a person commits to him, he responds. لَهُ رَبُّهُ عَنْهُ كيدهن Allah Ta'ala, he, he answered his call, he responded to him. And what did he do? He, this is an amazing uh, 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 way to say it. He turned their seduction or their plan away from him. He turned them away from Him. A lot of times we think that what? Our desire, defense, is turning ourselves away. That's true, that's what He did in the first step. You do the first step, Allah does the other step for you. You take one step away, Allah Ta'ala will turn the entire temptation away from you. And then you'll see the flip side of it, and it'll actually become very apparent how ugly it was from the first place. Once you decide to take that step to Allah, your vision is clear, your heart is clear, there's no more clouding of temptation, now you're like, oh my God, how horrible would that have been had I done that? So Allah Ta'ala turned away that plan, إِنَّهُ هُوَ al alim that verily Allah Ta'ala is the all-hearing, the all-knowing. And so it occurred to those in charge, despite seeing all the proofs of what? Of his innocence, that he should be imprisoned for a while. And this is why I asked you the question when we opened, which is, how many of you have ever done the right thing, and, the, and no matter what, it still hits you. It still came down. Brothers and sisters, if there's one thing that I've learned, and it's probably the only thing that I've learned in my life, because I'm not very old and I'm also not very smart, but if there's one thing that I've learned, is that sometimes you will make the right choice, and you will still be going through it. You will still have to go through it. Like, if I make the right choice, about not taking a job that's problematic, Allah's not going to make me the CEO of Amazon tomorrow. You're like, where's the miracle, God? You know, you wake up and you're like, you know, Elon and I are like, you know, no. Sometimes you make the right choice about not marrying that person that's asking you to compromise your faith. You're not going to wake up married tomorrow. Right? Yusuf, alayhi salam, the hadith says, Ibn Abbas, he says that, Uh, he was in prison for roughly 9 to 12 years after making this. I know, I just saw some sister, she's like, oh God, right? You're like, do I really want to make that? But what happened to him, those 9 to 12 years were the example and the experience of him manifesting his prophethood by the interpretation of the dreams that Allah Ta'ala gave him. And thus leading to his eventual climb to success. He would not have been able to become who he will had he not gone to prison first. And the time in prison only happened as a result of his steadfastness, his integrity. So what I want you to leave with tonight is this. Make the right choice even if there's nothing apparently rewarding about it. Make the right choice. Because as Ibn Allah says, making the right choice is a reward in and of itself. You walk away from the job knowing that I'm not a person who compromised my deen. You walk away from that moment knowing I'm not someone who sacrificed my relationship with Allah. And yes, although the next day may not be your victory in terms of success, I mean look at the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam during the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. They go to Mecca to go make their pilgrimage, they're turned away. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has to sign a lopsided contract with Quraysh saying this, this, this. As they're leaving, some of the Sahaba even, Umar, most notably, they're turned away from their pilgrimage, they've been waiting for so long, they have to come back a year later. It's lopsided. The Prophet Wasallam, it seemed like he took a major L in that moment. And Umar, he goes to the Prophet he says, Ya Rasulullah, why did we do this? Like we were there, we should have just fought, we should have just, you know? And the Prophet he said, Umar, just wait. Inna fatahna laka Allah Ta'ala has given us a clear victory. Right? Just because you can't see it, doesn't mean the victory is not coming. But the first step towards victory is committing to Allah even when you can't see it. Even when you can't see it, but you believing that the victory will be there. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us this commitment. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to always feel that the victory is coming even if we can't see it. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to have this trust in Him and this reliance upon Him and this certainty in Him. We ask Allah Taala to always put us in scenarios that we are not tested, and if we are tested, that we always choose the right way. We ask Allah Taala to protect us from oppression, from guilt that is not real. We ask Allah Taala to protect us and to preserve our innocence. We ask Allah Taala to allow us to always have beautiful iman in our heart and to let that beautiful faith be manifest in our actions and our words. Subhanaka Allahumma bihamdik nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaqfuruka wa tabulayk khairan. Everybody,